when we speak of coaching in the past, here in Barbados, we, we used to hear the names like Hitler Downs, Ricky Skeet, Richard Straker, sports council coaches. You know, at times we've had Seymour Nurse, Cammy Smith. All these guys would have played some part of coaching role within the landscape of Barbados. But truth be told, the main coaches then were the communities where cricket used to be played in between the houses. You know, everyone used to come out and play. Everyone fighting for a hand, the opportunity to bat. Learning how to hit the ball on the ground because if you hit the house full, you're out. Maybe if you hit the ball in the gully, you're out. So players made all these adaptations in order to survive, if you, if you want to call it that. The dressing rooms were full of great players. So after the game, quite often, that is where the main component of coaching would have taken place, where players would sit and listen to the stalwarts, either speak about their experiences, reflect on the day that would have just finished or concluded, and predict what will happen the next day. But as things change in Barbados in terms of the, the club landscape, where clubs started to get younger, where you didn't see as many older persons in the dressing rooms no more. That experienced person to, to lean on, to get information from, was no longer there. Society, societal changes where guys are quite interested in now in heading off as early as possible after the game for some other arrangement, some other engagement. And then on occasions you will have, you know, now we have the age of the cell phone. Where quite often you can see players even during the game heads into cell phones, you know. So it's, it has changed, that dynamic has changed and it then opened the avenue for coaches. As we go around the grounds, quite often we hear the older persons criticizing the coaches for the standard of play that is being exhibited. And I, I do think that it's quite harsh, it's quite unfair. Because with the societal changes, there are things today that we have to that we have to coach players that you didn't have to coach them before. And that's not only from a technical standpoint, from a tactical standpoint as well because of the lack of experience that is in and around the dressing rooms today. Lots of players have to learn on the job. You know, everyone can go and practice and work on playing an excellent cover drive, what's not to be technically sound, but they often miss the application aspect of it. And cricket is a game that is not straightforward. Cricket is what you would determine as an open skill where your performance is quite influenced by several other factors. So it goes beyond just the player. But be that as it may, I, I do think that coaching has gone to another level, slowly but surely. Um, coaches today, the, the younger coaches are, are hungry for information, looking to improve, trying to be innovative. 
trying to work as much as possible with the technology. And this is no disrespect to the older coaches who are still there for experience because you learn coaching from experience and coaching often, coaching several different players in different environments. So the older coaches are there for support. Yes, a lot of them are still active in coaching. And sometimes it's a pleasure to coach alongside them and try to marry that old school style of coaching with the modern way of doing things. Just recently, I had a conversation with some friends and we were talking about overcoaching. And that term cringes me. That term overcoaching. What is overcoaching? If, if you have a youngster, yes, he's doing well at his age group level. He's making runs. But as a coach, you see some technical flaws. But with your experience, you know that would limit him as he gets older and he goes further along. Now, I do believe that as coaches, we have to be smart enough and wise enough to know what to tinkle with, what to leave out, what to leave for another day. And again, that is the true essence of being a coach. I know sometimes some people are guilty of knowing 10 things and trying to coach all 10 things because I know all 10 things. It's not necessarily the way. As a coach, you must know when to come in, when to leave be. When to put a hand around the shoulder, when to be harsh. So coaching is a very, very intricate job and is a massive role in the development of cricketers today. Now in Barbados we have several good coaches. Several good coaches. But unfortunately, um I think we've not gotten to the stage of specialist coaching one and the realization that at times there may be a need to pass on someone to another coach pass on a player to another coach i'm not saying that coaches are not able to bring a guy all the way through from primary school all the way up to test level but this desire to say that i was the one who brought him through tends to hamper the development of players as well as coaches and we must be very careful with that. Coaches must understand that you are not the sole reason for the success or the demise of a player. There are several factors that are involved and a coach is just one part of it. When I look back over my career there are several coaches who I would have interacted with at a particular time or stage of my development. And I think that that is something that coaches must understand. You lay the foundation as much as possible. Those coaches that work in the formative years with a player are very, very important. Because as we go back to that term over coaching, I do believe that when you build a house you build a strong foundation and then we can put any type of house on that foundation 
similarly with cricket cricketers i do believe that young players should have a strong and solid technique let them be technically sound teach the correct coach the correct things teach the correct things from a young age and then as they get older then they can blossom and bring a bit more individuality to their game they can decide what type of players they want to be but at least we know that there's a sound grounding that could allow them to stay long in the game and perform consistently in the game there needs to be a national policy or even a regional policy on this and how we want our players to play how we want our players to be coached and the process will go on from there when we look at players in england whenever they come against us at age group level against the west indies we beat them based on our strength and our athleticism however those players are technically strong up to under 15 under 17 under 19 they are technically stronger than our guys because the coaching is grounded in having a solid technique throughout and is guided by the ECB and their, their coaching structure. Now, when they get a little older, between 21, 20, 21 to 23 to 24, and they start to get stronger and they, they build up their athleticism, then they surpass us by leaps and bounds. Because they have that technical base. Quite often our players then at that stage. When, when we play against better opposition. And opposition that are equal to us. Our technical flaws are highlighted. And then we tend to struggle. So. I say that to say that. In coaching in Barbados. I do believe we need to have that. Solid base for players. Technical base for players from a young age. I would say the fundamental thing going through it really is that coaches are only well paid and only well respected. It could be controversial, but it's the truth. Well respected when they coach higher up the line. But I do believe that if the professional was respected and you have good remuneration for coaches at the formative years, that level, you would see you will get your good coaches coaching at that level, that foundation level. We're coaching technique. We're trying to get a solid base so that players then could then develop and blossom from there. But we need to continue to work. The coaching landscape is one that is forever changing throughout the world. With the advent of the YouTube, players are able to see the finished product quite often around the world however if the finished product players then have to recognize that players then have to recognize that um, the, a lot of hard work goes on behind the scenes so the mere fact that the hard work goes on behind the scenes and players and young players are not able to see it we as coaches must reinforce the fact that a lot, lots of hard work is done. Hard years, there's a lot of failure in between the successes. And we then must be able to adapt as coaches. To help our players to adapt. 
and not be fearful. I think we must embrace knowledge. We must embrace change. And go out there. Gather more information. Give ourselves more tools. To deal with the ever complex players that we have today. Lots of players come with ideas. You've got to be open to the ideas that the players are bringing. We must be willing to listen and then make some changes if necessary to the program or to how we deliver the program to players in order to get the best out of them. But all along, just remembering that there is that base, that technical base that is required. I'd like to thank you guys for listening. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to delivering another podcast next week on Coaching in Barbados. Thank you. Hi and welcome back to RN Elite Sports Podcast. First, let me say thanks to all the guys, all the listeners for the positive feedback I would have received during the week. The, the generous discussion which was had on several topics which were raised. And it was quite interesting because... As I said beginning, it was just a trial and to see so many persons respond positively to it was very, very encouraging. Now last week we would have touched on coaching in Barbados, doing an overview of coaching. And we initially started highlighting how coaching was previously in the past. And some changes that may have taken place. And I would have received a phone call from a gentleman who I hold in high esteem. And he delved a little deeper. He went a little deeper into coaching back then. And he summarized it very impressively for me. Where he said that coaching in the past was based on experience. So you coach based on your level of experience. If you would have played test cricket and what's not. If you would have played cricket in the leagues in England been exposed to those type of structures you would have come back and coached and now in these times you, know, you have your coaching courses going on so much so that the courses can now be accessed online and he would have highlighted that coaching then and cricket in general used to be a standalone topic where it used to be cricket on one hand and science as something completely different. However, some persons might have spoken about certain techniques and what's not looking at bowling actions, but not understand the science behind it. So science was often seen as something separate and apart to cricket. Whereas now in this time, there's a marriage between the two. And I think that in the West Indies, we, we mustn't shy away from it as coaches, as cricketers, as pundits. There's the, the science of the game plays a major role now in terms of player development, team success. And science is not only biomechanics and what's not. Where we look at, you can also look at this, the side of things where everything is analyzed. Data is recorded, data is recorded through practice, data is recorded in matches and stored. You know, so that you have scientific evidence. 
So if you're saying that a player is weak through the leg side, you have data to show. And it's not something that you you may see on one occasion and say, oh, he's weak through the leg side. Where if you have collated and collected data over a period of time, you'll be able to give solid evidence to your statements. Uh, no longer can we sit and shout and tell players stop bowling the ball down the leg side. We are now required to say why it is happening, provide solutions to the problem, and through the scientific data, we may be able to say, well, after four overs, he tends to do this, or he tends to do that. So then it may not just be a case of technique. It may now be that fitness levels may be questionable. So all these, these things can improve us as coaches and by extension improve the players. Because as coaches now we are able to provide better information, more in-depth information and information that is not one where you just pull up the sky or you give an opinion. Right, so that was just one conversation during the week that came out where we highlighted the difference between coaching then and now that I thought I would uh, raise quite early in the podcast. But this week, I really want to answer a couple questions that uh, we, we quite often hear the conversation about and people always discuss. And the first one I'm looking at is what is a good coach? Because they often hear, oh, this person is not a good coach, that person is not a good coach, but he's a good coach. And I always ask, what makes a person a good coach? Is it trophies? Is it that based around success? Is it achieving goals? Is it the ability to move a player from point A to point B? Or is it just a coach that players like? And I do believe that the definition of a good coach must coincide with the level he's coaching at the goals that are set up by the coaching program which may be put in place by the coach himself or by the organization that he's working with and then you, you have to judge the coach based on those parameters which would have been set in certain environments winning is the is the bar is the parameter used how many trophies a person wins However, in other environments, it may be the fact that we've been able to move the team from 7th position to 5th position. Or we've been able to get 3 players onto the Barbados team. Or just getting more players participating in the sport. That may determine the success within that parameter. So, when people have that conversation about whether or not a person is a good coach, I often say that we have to first look at what the goals of the organization or the goals of the program are. And if he's meeting the goals and the objectives, then he's a successful coach. Persons from the outside cannot sit back or shouldn't sit back and determine whether or not he's a good coach. 
just by if they win because quite often only one team wins so if a team would have been seventh the year in front and come second you cannot then say that because they didn't win that the person is not a good coach or the he didn't do his job or what's not if if the as we said before the objective was to improve positioning then he's a good coach now we must understand as well that there are different types of coaches and it is something that we tend to neglect you can have coaches who are strong technically tactically there are some who are very good at organizing and managing. There are coaches who are excellent man managers. And I often find that you would hardly find a coach who's a, who will get an A grade or A plus grade in all these areas. You often see that there are coaches who may be stronger in one than the other. And I think it's true retrospection that coaches must be confident enough and honest enough to identify areas that they may be strong in and then areas that may need improving. If you work in an environment where you have access to different personnel and you are strong in one area but not in the next, I would strongly advise that you get somebody on board with you who would complement your skills or to help you in an area where you may not be that strong and I think that that is the sign of a good coach as well where you understand your strengths understand the areas that you may need to improve and you bring someone on board to help out to cover that area because at the end of the day it's all about improving the players it's all about improving the product improving the team that you're working with it's not just about your ego for instance if you are if you know that you're not as strong a leg spinning coach as possible you go in and you have two leg spinners within your squad you, you find two a leg spinning coach that you can call upon to do some work with your leg spinners don't have that strong ego to be to say no I cannot bring in somebody because it might make me look bad no I think it, it makes you look stronger and quite often we must understand that we may not know all something you don't know all but if you're not strong in the area of like spin using that example sticking with it you still must have an idea I would say you don't bring in somebody to do to take over a role or to play a part within your program and not be aware of what is happening. I still believe that if you bring somebody on board, even if it is to cover, let's say, strength and conditioning of your players, you as a coach must still have an idea of what is happening. What if you bring in somebody and what they're doing is actually detrimental to the player's development so you must be in a position where you can ask questions demand accountability from the persons that you would have brought on if you bring people on because at the end of the day you're the person in charge 
you're the person charged with developing the players, developing the team, developing the product. So even though you identify there may be areas that you're weak in and you look to bring somebody on to help out, you must still have an idea as to what is going on, have your finger on the pulse, and be there so that you understand what's happening because the butt stops at you as a coach. But it's, it's very important for us to understand what type of coaches we are, where our strong points are, so that if there's any additional education or practice that we need in certain areas, then we go and we look to do it, especially in this time of COVID, where we go out and try to enhance our skills as coaches practice having a look at players seeing some videos and identifying if you see any strong points if you see any weaker points in in some players that you might see on youtube or what's not and while we identify the weaker points and identify the strong points work out in your mind now if i had this player to work with for two weeks what would i do you know you, you practice your coaching skills that way obviously we won't be able to see any result but at least you are practicing identifying strengths and weaknesses. You are practicing your problem-solving skills. And if you gear to, you draw a plan, which would be a structure that you would use to help improve the player. And when you practice doing these plans, you store them. Because you never know you may come across an actual player in your club or youth teams who might have a similar issue and you've already you've already prepared a plan that you can now tailor tailor it to the actual player that you're working with so I think we can use this time quite wisely to improve ourselves as coaches and look at the skills that we have look at the strong points what we do try to improve them as well as those areas where we may not be as strong in. my final point i want to touch on is coaching styles so the same way we talk about what type of coaches we are we must also then look at our coaching style when we, we talk about in education we say that people have very a lot of different learning styles some people are visual learners some people are kinesthetic some people audio and then we also talk about styles of, of, of leadership you know you got your dictators you know you got those guys who are more lazy fair who laid back but we hardly ever speak about coaching style now your coaching style may be one where you're very much hands on always in there looking to get in get involved and basically be the center of attention as one way and then you might have coaches who are more hands-off who may sit back a bit allow players freedom to express themselves and then you come in at certain things as opposed to being always involved no, 
your coaching style could be very impactful on the team or the person you're working with. Imagine working with with players who are already established, who understand their game and have a very good understanding of the game itself. And you are always involved, always want to change something, very much hands-on. Think about the impact that will have. And let's look at it the other way around, where you might be working with a development team, a team that is a, is a under 13 team, and you are very much hands-off, where you allow them to just do. You know, some people talk about discovery learning, and they will work it out themselves. People function and are successful with discovery learning when they have a, an understanding, a basic understanding of what is going on. So your your coaching style is very much linked to personalities within your team, the stage of development that the, the players are at, as well as the, I would say, still the goals of that organization. Because quite often if you're working with a a younger team, a development side, and you're pretty much hands-off. You're giving room for, you give a bit more room for mistakes, a bit more room for, let's say, fun, inverted commas. Because obviously, sometimes when you're hands-off, there's still a bit, there's a bit of, a bit more freedom for players. Now, I'm not saying that any particular way or style is wrong because I think that we must be flexible as coaches because as you move up the line I, I don't think you'll see many co- coaches are ambitious you know they want as Maslow hierarchy of needs will highlight coaches would like to, to reach at the top get self-actualization where you know they, they want to say well I've achieved this I've worked at this particular level and that's, that's natural for human beings on a whole. So I can see coaches really aspiring to move through the line. But always remember that you may have had one style or adopted one method. And it worked for a particular group of players for let's say two, three years. And then that group of players changes. You know, you get another set coming in. And you may stick with what would have worked for you before. But it may not actually suit the personality of the group that you have now. So as a coach, the question then is, do I stick hard and fast with my way? Or do I become flexible enough to recognize well, I may need to make some tweaks to my approach? This group may need to be a bit more, it may need to be a bit more hands-on to get in there a little bit more and be active as opposed to hands-off. And I think, again, that's a very, very good skill and a sign of a good coach. And these things can only come through coaching often and experience. But it's, it's an interesting point. It's an interesting area 
and again it's something that we don't pay a lot of attention to we just believe that if someone coaches and they just can you give them a set of players that you go there and coach I think quite often a bit more investigation must be done and this comes along again to, to logging of information and coaches understanding their studs. So if, if as a coach you find it difficult to do self-assessment, self-analysis, feel free to invite another coach to have a look at a couple of sessions to analyze your coaching over a period of time and to see, well, this is, my, this is the style of coaching that you mainly adopt. And again, so that can help you to develop another method and another way of operating. Because the world of coaching is forever changing. There are lots of coaches out there. Lots of very good coaches. Ambitious coaches. So we need to continue to develop. To ensure that we help our players improve our players' skills. And overall just try to improve the brand of cricket within the country and within the West Indies on a, on a wider scale. So again guys, thanks for listening. As we move forward, we'll have a different format in the podcast and more exciting topics to come. So keep safe. Practice social distancing. Good hygiene. And I look forward to sending out another podcast in the following week. Thank you.